Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and dressed in fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am in agony and these flames, uh, yeah. But Abraham said, child, Remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Great scripture reader. Thank you, Nick. Uh, good morning. My name is Brittany. Oh, I'm Taylor. Awesome. Hi. And we are going to be co-preaching today, so wish us luck. Um, before we start, though, I want to name a couple things. Uh, first, uh, just a couple of housekeeping things. Brian, thank you for last minute stepping into the role of liturgist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, thank you. He did great. Uh, if, you, if you guys know uh, Jalen, she's, what, is she 12? Something and she's like been a really super awesome liturgist before us in the past. Um, her family, uh, Laura and Logan and Sydney and uh, Jalen, they usually sit over here. And she's in the hospital right now. She's supposed to be our liturgist. So keep her in there. They're still not sure what's going on. So keep her in prayers. I also want to name a joy in our community. Um, I got a text this morning from uh, Debbie Tan, and uh, Vicki gave birth to a healthy little baby girl, Emma Tan Mark, um, yesterday. And so we have a new little one among us, and that's super exciting. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was something else I was going to say, but... There's something else you don't have to... You have to remember. Okay, later. later. Yep. Um, don't forget about it. Also... <laughs> 
I do want to say that uh, this scripture passage, like many, talks about hell. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, so I'll just recommend the movie Come Sunday. I saw it this week. Has anybody seen it? It's on Netflix. Um, just watch it. It's good. Okay. So it's about a, a preacher who kind of shifts in his belief of heaven and hell and then is voted a heretic in the Pentecostal community. So it's a really great movie. <laughs> it's real uplifting. It's real uplifting. <laughs> um, let us begin this time uh, with scripture, with preaching in prayer. Holy and gracious God, uh, you give us the gift of your scriptures. They are often uh, puzzling. They are often thought-provoking. They often allow us, give us permission, propel us, compel us to change our lives. Uh, may our hearts be open in this time. May our vision be cast toward your dream. And may the words of my mouth and Taylor's mouth and the meditations of our hearts clarify and invite us to participate in that dream. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for many years, uh, eight years, I was part of this organization called, it sounds boring, uh, the Board of Higher Education and Campus Ministry. And it was an organization that sort of within the United Methodist Church that supported uh, different campus ministries across the Northern Illinois Conference, so that I-80 North in Illinois. There's lots of really great campus ministries. Um, one that UVC kind of helped um, is called Inclusive Collective. Uh, one of our former Church Start residents started that campus ministry on the campus of UIC. And I know several of us have uh, been connected to that at different points. And so that's great, but I'm not going to talk about that one. Um, I wanted to talk about the one at Northwestern University. It's called University Christian Ministry. And they have, their campus ministry it has this uh, big old house up on Sheridan Road. We actually have folks that were formed and shaped by that campus ministry that are sitting in this room right now. Um, uh, part of my job when I was on this board was to um, kind of visit the different campus ministries and hear about the good work that they were doing. And I was struck every time I went to UCM in this big old house where some people actually rent out space and live and where they have fellowship on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Um, what I heard over and over again was Northwestern University is cutthroat, it's competitive, it's stress-producing, and this place is a shelter. This is a place where I find refuge and care. This is a place where it feels safe, and I can explore all the things that are coming at me a million miles an hour. I love that image of, uh, I love it as a campus ministry. Would you say that that was true for your experience? Yeah. I love that image of the campus ministry uh, being this shelter, this home, this place of safety and care that you can explore and, and, and springboard into action. And I've been thinking about that in lots of layers as, as we um, engage in this topic of homelessness today. I think, first of all, there's this idea that... Um, one, when we have physical shelter, physical shelter, shelter, we um, feel safe. And out of that physical shelter, we can do enormous things because we have a, a place of safety and refuge. But I also think about it um, as we're engaging our faith, 
what does it mean to find shelter in God, right? To, to know that there is a place despite the chaos of this world, despite grief and fear and uncertainty, that we have this steadfast shelter, this rock in God. So I wanna play, we're gonna play back and forth between these two ideas today as we explore homelessness and what our faith calls us to do. Cool, so we're gonna play with the text a little bit this morning. Um, I'm not gonna talk about hell. You can quiz Brittany on that later. That's the team arrangement that we set up. Um, so, but in this text, uh, the story is, is, a, is a parable. Oh, we didn't talk about the parable. Yeah, yeah, this is a parable that comes after a series of other oh, parables that are actually yeah. super familiar. Yeah, that I was this is Brittany's to talk point. about, and I got so into yep. shelter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- th- I kinda wanna set this text up. Mm-hmm. We have this string in the middle of Luke. There's this string of three really popular parables. So there's the parable of the lost coin, lost sheep, and then the lost son, right? Everybody, if if you've grown up in the Christian tradition, you know those parables, right? Um, And I, I love that Jesus sets that up. And then he goes right in after those three lost parables. He goes right in and tells this story about the dishonest manager, whom I would say was also lost, because he uh, was serving money over God, right? Jesus ends that parable with saying you cannot serve God over money. So it's another story being lost in a different way. Uh, Following that parable of the dishonest uh, manager, the Pharisees, who were labeled as money lovers, sneer at the story. And in response to that sneer, Jesus then goes in to tell this story that we're sitting in. So it's good to think about that lost piece and, yeah, so how's that? Okay, now we're going to play with the text. Now we're set up. Let's go. Um, and, and for me, when Brittany pointed out, like, oh, this follows a series of really popular parables, I'm like, yeah, I heard that one in Sunday school of, like, the lost sheep. Like, that's really, that was a nice one. The lost coin, that was a really nice one. I never heard this one um, <laughs> in Sunday school, maybe because they also didn't want to talk about hell. Um, but I think it was probably more likely because it lands really close. Um, it's, it's easy to say, like, oh, I'm going to be the crusader that goes and finds the lost sheep, right? It's easy to be like, I'm going to, you know, reorient my house, find this lost coin. Um, it's, it's tough to locate ourselves in this parable because for me, um, with my background and upbringing, I have a lot more in common with the rich man. Um, the rich man in the story is wearing purple, which means probably like a high-ranking official, part of a wealthier royal family. He probably would live in a gated community or one of those like penthouse apartments that you have to have the key code to get up to if you ever tried to sneak to the top of a building. And then you find out you can't, like the top floors are for rich people. Okay. Um, but, but probably where he's at in his mind is that he knows he deserves what he has. Right, like whatever justification I've worked for this, I've built up to this, all this kind of stuff, and um, I, I, my room is only on the second floor. Uh, I don't have a kitchen in my apartment. Um, all of those different kind of things, but I still know that what I have, I believe that I've earned, um, and I believe that it belongs to me, and that I have certain rights to it. And so, when Lazarus shows up in the parable, Lazarus, not the same Lazarus that shows up in other parts of the Bible, um, but this character in the parable is the only character in a parable that Jesus ever gives a name to. So that's interesting. Lazarus comes from Eleazar, which means God helps. Um, So we have this character that is covered in bed sores, 
ritually unclean and all he wants, right? Like the deepest desire of his heart is just to get the leftovers from the guy that lives on top of the building. Um, and in the afterlife of the story, we do see this grand reversal, right? Very encouraging for the, for the poor man. Um, the kingdom of God that is to come, the rich man is tormented and the poor man is comforted. But as we get into reimagining it, um, I know for me, like it, it shouldn't be a surprise that the executives and the senators and those kind of people are ignoring the people who are struggling in their communities. Um, and I, I so much want to be the person that's like, I don't have enough resources, right? Like, I don't have enough access to different kind of things. But the truth is, I've never worried that I wouldn't have a safe place to sleep. Um, I've never worried that, like, I wouldn't have enough to eat. I've never been, like, begging for somebody's leftovers. So while it's good to, like, look at this parable and see that the poor man gets cared for in the afterlife, what should be heartbreaking to us is that he lives unseen in the world that he inhabits. Um, so our work this morning is to begin to imagine how we could see this vision of the kingdom of God taken out of the realm of the afterlife and into the here and now. Um, before all gets made right at the end, how can we, the people who find our shelter and refuge in God, start to extend those similar kinds of care and compassion to people experiencing homelessness? So there's a, an expression I've heard, um, if you've done any sort of preaching class or, or whatever, is that a preacher should... Uh, that the gospel message, and therefore a preacher, should afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. And this text does that, right? Uh, this is a text that if you are comfortable in life, then it is a text that makes you uncomfortable. And if you are in a situation in life where you are suffering in hardship, then this is a text that gives you great comfort, Right? Uh, so I don't have to do that work. The text already did it today. Um, but that's, that's where we are. I just want to name that there's... Uh, I, I, personally, it's uncomfortable for me to read this text um, because I am in a good social location um, where I'm walking by Lazarus's on a daily basis. Um, and when we talk about the experience of, of homelessness, um, we see this whole spectrum and it's... It's easy to jump to, right, like the person who's sitting there on the street asking for any of those kind of things. But there's actually a big spectrum of what happens um, between the rich man and Lazarus. And I've heard people tell stories of, like, I, I was living this life, right? Like, I was, a, I was a clinical psychologist for a number of years. True story. Now I'm sleeping under a bridge. Um, so Lazarus is, like, this extreme side. But there's a lot of people in the, in the middle in that spectrum, dealing with something we call housing insecurity. And that might look like you're couch surfing. Um, technically, you don't have secure housing, right? That might look like, oh, I'm just I'm staying, with, staying with my family, staying with my friends for a little while to get back on my feet. Um, it could also look like staying in a short-term motel, living like week to week on those paychecks. If any of you um, are interested, there's a movie called The Florida Project. It's on Amazon Prime, and it's an amazing exploration of what it's like to be living um, paycheck to paycheck paycheck, short-term motels through the eyes of a child. Um, so based on our 2015 census, the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless found that there are 82,212 humans uh, who are experiencing homelessness in Chicago. Um, and 18,117 of those were students in Chicago public schools. Um, so this is something that affects youth. Um, 
and and people all across the spectrum of like some of 67,000 of those folks were living doubled up in the homes of others. Um, overcrowded conditions, those kind of hardships. So, for example, um, at the beginning of the school year, uh, I was visiting with a mother while we were doing pickup for kindergarten. And I said something like, oh, how was your weekend? And she said, my apartment burned down. And we don't have a place to live. And um, I said, oh, my gosh, who is helping you? Who is resourcing you? What are you doing? And she said, we're staying. So I live in Evanston. She said, we're staying in Skokie with some friends, right, doubled up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like, and it's really hard because I don't have a car. So they're paying for Uber back and forth to school, already stressed out financially. We don't have clothes. We don't have toys. I don't, you know, I've got two kids. I'm already working two jobs. I'm stressed, right? That is, they're not in a Lazarus situation, but if we don't do something, that's where it ends up, Right? 67,000 of those folks who are housing insecure are in that same situation as my daughter's classmate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this, uh, like, like several uh, social problems we encounter, there's a disproportionate impact on the LGBT community, specifically youth who identify as LGBT. Um, out of, out of the, the population of homeless youth that we're talking about, 40% of those identify as LGBT. Um, compared to like 10% of the broader population identifies as LGBT. So it's a disproportionate impact on youth particularly who have dealt with um, no longer being welcome in their homes for a variety of reasons um, and, and end up in housing insecurity because of that. There's also a, uh, It's more difficult for transgender people to both find and secure housing, um, and they're more likely to be evicted by their landlords for very little reason. Um, So we have these, like, social systems that we're kind of fighting against, right? And we look at, like, there are actually laws that criminalize homelessness. So in different cities across the country, it's illegal all from across to, like, it's illegal to sleep outside, it's illegal to camp in public, it's illegal to live in your car, and it is illegal to brush your teeth in public. Um, Which is something that, like, as a securely housed person, I would see that in the laws and be like, oh, no big deal, I will brush my teeth in my home. If you can't do that, how do you brush your teeth? How do you become, like, more stable, more secure, able to step into different levels of society? And we justify those laws, right? The people who make them justify them in the name of, like, neighborhood safety. Um, But the systems are set up to keep people on the Lazarus end of the spectrum or moving towards the Lazarus end of the spectrum. It's actually very difficult to, like, work your way back up. For those of you that live in this area, are you familiar with the Foster Avenue City... Uh, tent city folks. Okay, thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. So um, about uh, two years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, Cody. Uh, about two years ago, there have been a lot of folks that have lived under the bridges in uh, Foster Avenue area, and uh, the city decided that they wanted to rebuild the bridge. And so uh, they tried to move the folks who had made housing in there out, and there was a, a big um, rally of the community, um, they set up tents as public um, to, to sort of name this is, this tent represents a person, right, instead of just not seeing it. 
And lots of pushback and forth. And eventually what um, came out of this is that um, the Chicago Housing and Human Services, I think it was called, uh, Housing and Health, uh, worked with uh, folks to say, all right, there's you know, 82,000 folks that are homeless, but we're going to start with 75. We're going to take 75 folks, no question, like, like, you don't have to prove your worthiness. We're going to find stable housing for you and assume and know that out of that stability, you will be able to have opportunities to to, to live better, right? But you need that safety, you need that shelter, you need that place of refuge. Now, there's part of me that's like, well, 75 people, that's like not even a dent in the bucket, and you're right, but we can't critique something for not being big enough because at least we're trying, right? City of Chicago and Chicago Housing and Health are doing this because they are assuming or finding that it's saving the taxpayers about $6,700 a person. That's great. We can celebrate fiscal responsibility. But as people of the gospel, we do this more than tax savings, right? We do this because we see in every person that has housing insecurity, every person that does not have a safe shelter to sleep at for the night, they are a child of God, created in the image of God. And so we do it because we are fellow people on this journey. Am I supposed to say more? Yeah, tell us how the program ended up. Oh, yeah. So the program ended up in, I mean, it's still very new, right? This is like six, uh, 12 months. But of the 75 folks that started, 73 of them have stuck with it um, and have housing, and that is allowing them to become more stable in other areas. uh, mental health care, um, seeking for jobs. And these are some folks that have been long-term um, living on the streets. Chicago is far behind many other large cities when it comes to dealing with people who have housing insecurity, but it's a step, right? It's a step. So for us, uh, congregationally, individually, talking about our, our faith motivation for our response, um, because there is the part of it that's like, oh, I hope the government will figure out what to do about it eventually, right? But there's also the part that, like, what are, we, what are we invited to together? What is the text kind of challenging us with? And when we were talking about this and in conversations I've been in around service, um, how many of you are familiar with that part of James where it talks about, like, oh, faith without works is dead? Good, yes. Brittany went to Sunday school. Um, for the rest of you, can we bring that passage up real quick? I'm going to read it. We'll talk about it. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Um, and we were talking about this, uh, how in the different traditions that we grew up in, this passage was interpreted really differently. So we're going to kind of give you a little window into our childhoods real quick. Um, for me growing up, we, 
I grew up in sort of evangelical, non-denominational spaces, if that's familiar to anybody here. Um, we were very suspicious of this works-oriented conversation. Uh, we were suspicious of the, um, of the Catholics and the Presbyterians and the Methodists. We were inclusive. Um, <laughs> but we were super suspicious of this idea that, like, well, if you have to do works to earn your salvation, then it's not really a gift from God, right? And so we would take this faith without works bit and parse it out so that our works were, like, um, telling people about Jesus and inviting them to Bible study and, like, memorizing the Bible, right? If you weren't at 80% mastery by the time you were 10, you were, like, severely behind in the culture I grew up in. Um, so, yeah, it, it was this energy towards, like, you have to have your energy in your faith, moving towards your faith, and, like, don't try to work it out. And for me, my tradition, uh, you know, my youth group would say, let's go trick-or-treating and collect canned goods in the neighborhood and then give them to the food shelter, right? Let's um, collect school supplies and send them to the United Methodist Women Mission that's happening in Haiti. Um, let's do all of these things, but for me... I didn't, I, I, uh, what I took from that is I took on this great burden that the world needs me to save it. Um, and what I missed in that is that we already have one savior named Jesus Christ, right? And so I don't have to save the world. I have to put my trust in the one who has and know that I have a call to serve my neighbor, yes, but in a particular way. Right, So we've, we've come together and realized that we need each other. We need this dialogue because we need a balance mm-hmm. of that faith and works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for me, what really flipped into that passage and, uh, and, and a verse that's been very encouraging to me in the last couple of years where I've been working through a whole bunch of other stuff, um, but the part of the verse where he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Like, if I, if I were a tattoo kind of person or, like, a mantra kind of person, mercy triumphs over judgment would be up there in my key phrases. Um, because what it, what it invites us to is not just to have, like, like, I feel like what the faith of my childhood was prepping me to always have a spiritual answer to everything. Um, and to use that as a way to dismiss actual humans that I was interacting with. Um, but the, uh, the mercy triumphs over judgment bit actually calls us into, like, in every encounter that you have with another person, um, are you responding out of judgment? Like, oh, like, you've probably done something to get yourself in this situation. You don't deserve my dollar. Um, or are we able to step into those places with mercy? So we want to give you just a couple of ways to really um, give mercy and to uh, discern how is it that God is calling you to, to share and care in this problem. Um, so I think you have the first yeah, one. Yeah, so step one, we have a yeah, graphic. You got it. This one actually was being shared by people on my Facebook, like very generously in the last two months. So thank you for crowdsourcing this one. Uh, the top of it says how to respond to panhandling. And what I like about it is that the sign says seeking compassion. Um, a lot of times it's easy to be dismissive and be like, these people, like, well, first off, the these people language, right? That's a problem. Um, but these people, are, you know, they're out for money. They're not using it in the right way. They're trying to get something out of me. What actually the most common request is for human compassion. So you can see up there a few different responses. You realize not all of them um, involve giving money necessarily. But what they do involve is stepping over your discomfort um, 
like giving up your right to be comfortable to interact with another human being who has actually the same rights to be in the world that you do um, and has been through some different circumstances. Um, another way, did, uh, did anybody hand out the kits we made a couple of weeks ago? How was that? Yes, people are saying yeah, yes. Yeah, we'll take stories. Yeah. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, another way is to keep up with that, right? To hit the dollar store and buy more cheese crackers, more jerky, um, and have those ready to hand out as acts of compassion, as, as seeing another human being that um, is fighting just as hard or harder than you to be in this world. Um, also, you're going to do the next. Yes, we planned this. Um, so... There's, there's this work that's like, what do you do with those face-to-face encounters with people that are right in front of you? And then there's the work that starts to move us kind of up the, the justice ladder, not that it's a hierarchy, but towards, towards like bigger justice-type actions. And a big thing for us as the church to look at is like, there can be this energy around like, oh, we have to start a program, we have to come up with this thing. There are dozens of hundreds of nonprofits in Chicago um, that are doing brilliant and beautiful work. And so the, the work that we have to do isn't to like come up with some big new idea. The work is to find the people who are doing the work and figure out how to partner alongside of them. Um, and, and we don't have to wait for the heaven or hell thing to happen to be able to participate in those moments of redemption. Um, if you're interested in stepping into some of this kind of work, um, we're looking at partnerships with uh, Sarah's Circle, uh, who we collected the toiletries for in December. Um, they work with, I think you said like 80% of women who experience homelessness in Chicago make contact with Sarah's Circle at some point. Um, So we've looked into some of these partnerships, but what we've struggled with as a church is that when when we call them, they say, oh, that's great. You know, we need people to do dinner on Friday night. We need 15 people to do dinner and come cook. Um, If we don't know that we have a critical mass of people here who are interested, we're not going to promise them that we'll be there, right? Because we don't want to be responsible for a dinner and then not show up. Um, So if you're interested in starting to move toward that work with this community, please indicate that on your tear-off. Yeah, because it it can feel way, way, way overwhelming, but there are actually really specific actions that people are already working on that we can be a part of to help. Taylor's going to close this out, but I get my final thought, too, because every preacher has to have a final thought, right? It is overwhelming. 82,000 people in the city of Chicago are without a home at night. 82,000 people. Even if I think, okay, there's already a savior of the world, I don't have to do that. I still want to do something, and I'm paralyzed by 82,000 people. But what I take comfort in in this text is that I see um, when, when the rich man uh, stands before Father Abraham and, and, and Abraham talks to him, he doesn't say, rich man, there were 82,000 people in the city of Chicago that you did nothing about. What he says is, you didn't take care of Lazarus, who was right by your gate. And so what that says to me is not that it's not that we individually have to be responsible for 82,000 people, but there is one person that we walk by day after day that we see regularly on our way to the gym or on our way to the train. That is your person. That, can you imagine, we have almost like three million people in the city of Chicago. Can you imagine if 
three million people said, I've got one person I'm caring for. Can you imagine the love and care and support that that person would have? So that's your call today is one person, one Lazarus for you. Um, and we remember gathering together in this church space, right, uh, that we, we get to enter into this because our faith compels us to, um, because we are people who believe that mercy triumphs over judgment um, and that God hasn't given us the work to do to uh, point out to people where they've gone wrong and like tell them to get their lives back on track, but God's actually given us the work of of mercy to do in the world. So our belief in resurrection and our hope that like in this world, like we were saying about this morning, there's going to be this big, big house and everybody's going to get a room. There's going to be footballs all over the place. Um, or maybe not. Fo- I don't even know what I would prefer to footballs, but that doesn't get me, that, that doesn't get me excited for the future. Um, but we, we can operate in this spiritual space and be super comfortable, right? And be like, oh, like when we get to heaven, it's all going to be better. Um, and, and hopefully somebody else hopefully somebody else fixes the messy stuff while we're trying to avoid our own discomfort. But as a people who know what it means to find that shelter and find that refuge in God, um, our work is to find ways to share that with other people, spiritually, physically. Um, but as people who have been shown great compassion, may we be brave enough to continue to extend that to each other. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do find our refuge in you. It is in you that we feel safe, that we know our identity as chosen and beloved by you. May we be rooted in that. And out of that rootedness, may we go into this world and participate in the dream that you have cast. May we share your love physically and and spiritually with the Lazarus that we meet on the street. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.